Well, thank you, Brother Terry. Well, this is just temporary here. We'll be moving out one day, and that's what we're going to look at today. I appreciate Terry singing that. If you brought your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, and I want us to look at verse chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. I want to share with you a sermon simply entitled, Living for What Last? Living for What Last? It'd be a sad state of affair if you lived your life and then it was over with, what you live for just kind of disappeared. And what you want to do is live for what lasts. So look, if you will, at 1 John chapter 2, 15 through 17. John says, love not the world. Some translations are a little more definite. It says, do not love the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, here's all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. But the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. One of the great challenges of the Christian is living in a world without the world getting in you. Living in the world without the world getting in you. I read recently or heard recently about a spider in South America that would spin a web around itself till it became watertight and it would lower itself down into a river it would it would sink down toward the bottom and stay in the river for a while underneath the water and it would come back to the top and no water would ever touch the spider the bible says that we're in the world but we're not of the world and the challenge we have as a Christian is living in the world without the world getting in us. And so John, in this passage, gives three traits that I want to try to point out that will help us be in the world, but will not let, us, will not let the world be in us. And I want to mention those real quick, if you're taking a note, in case I fail to later. Those three truths, the love of God, the absence of God and the will of God. The love of God, the absence of God, the will of God. Those Knowing these things will help us be in the world, but will not let the world be in us. First of all, look at the love of God. There in verse 15, the love of God. Verse 15 says, love not the world. Now, he uses the word love in a negative sense here. Love not the world. It's, it's, it's in the negative now, the Bible uses the word world in more than just one way. 
the word used here for world is used 193 times in the New Testament. That word is cosmos. 193 times in the New Testament. John uses the word cosmos, the word for cosmos, 105 times. In, in the Gospel of John, he uses it 78 times. In 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he uses that word 24 times. And then in the book of Revelation, he uses that word three times. And so he speaks of a cosmos. The cosmos means order. It means that a universe is well-ordered, is a, is a well-ordered ornament of God. A well-ordered ornament of God. Uh, cosmos is where we get the English word cosmopolitan. comes from that same word. Uh, ladies, I was speaking to some before Sunday school, um, that's where the word cosmetics comes from. Now, uh, I didn't say this, or I didn't come up with this. Um, I didn't write what I'm about to tell you. I jotted down the note. But someone said that cosmetics are a valued attempt to restore order. Now, I didn't say it. I'm just reporting what I studied. But the word also, world, refers to the creation, like mountains and streams and stars and planets. So you have a cosmos, restored order. Then you have cosmos, the creation. And then there's another word that refers to people. The word world referring to people. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. He's speaking of people. But here, it re, but here it refers to a system. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. So it refers to a system, a system of thinking and a system of living. Verse 15, notice, he says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. So it, it's that system around us. And this system is led by Satan. This, this system around us is, is without God and without Jesus Christ. It's, it's a system that's living around us. It's a system that's thinking around us. And we live in this system. We move about in this system. Come in. We come out of this system. This is, this is our ordinary life. In and out and round about in this system that is opposed to God and opposed to Jesus Christ. We experience this world. We experience it in its culture. We experience it in its arts. We experience it in entertainment. We experience it in government. We experience it in education. Uh, and in some cases, we experience this world that's opposed to God and Jesus Christ, even in, even in religion. Therefore, love not the world. All that is around us that humans have created in their search for happiness without God and without Jesus Christ. Love not the world. 
Now notice he uses the word world, cosmos, but he also uses the word love. Love. That word love. Every time we see the word love mentioned here, uh, you know, this word love is found, uh, it's the highest kind of love. You know, we, we, most of you probably are aware, the Greeks had three words for love. They had eros, which is erotic. We get the English word erotic. They had um, philio, which is the uh, Greek word philio for friendship love. Then you had the agape love, this, the deepest kind of love. It is the selfless love. That's what's used here. The deepest, don't, don't allow your deepest love to go toward the world. Love, not the world. Every time the word love there, this agape, that's the deepest kind of love. So the point is, we're not to give our deepest affection, our deepest love to the system has, that's been constructed by misguided people and by Satan uh, to live a life or a lifestyle that one day is going to crumble and come apart. It won't last forever. And so you have the negative there in verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And he says, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Love. Now let's, let's, think, just, let's think about the love of God for a moment. The love of God. You ever thought just about the love of God? How amazing the love of God is? Uh, nothing compares to the love of God. You say, what about a mother? Well, mothers have unusual love, a great capacity to love. But their love in no way matches the love of God. Fathers have love. But no way do they have a love that matches or compares to the love of God. Look, if you will, at 1 John 4, chapter over you'll find in verse, uh, verse 7, he, he simply says this, First uh, John 4, verse 7, he just simply says that, that God is love. God is love. So today, people are searching for love. They're searching for a deep kind of love. But the only way to give this love is to have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior in your life. The kind of love that's really foreign to us until we're born again. There's no way you can have the Jesus-type love, the agape love, until you know love itself, and that's Jesus Christ. God is love. So the Bible says if a person loves the world, meaning if it's their passion, if their passion is for the world, if it's what they live for, if it's in their heart and if it's in their mind, if it drives them and if it wakes them up and it keeps them going during the day, nothing except the world living for satisfaction in just what's around them. It says the love of the Father cannot be in them. Now why is that? Because there's, there's not enough room in your heart to love the world with that much passion and love God with that much passion. Jesus said, he said it this way, no man can serve two masters. 
You, you'll either love one, hate the other, hate one, love the other. You, you can't love both with that type of love in the depth in which love means. Jesus said, uh, can't serve two masters. You remember Elijah goes on Mount Carmel, and there he calls the people together, and he says, he says if Baal be Baal, worship him. If God be God, worship him. Why halt you between two opinions? Love one or the other. That word halt there, literally that word means to skip. If you played hot, uh, hopscotch when you were younger, some of you older adults, and you would jump from one side to another side, another side, and you, you jump back and forth, uh, that's the word. You're, you're on one side for a while, then you're on another side for a while, and then you're on another side. It's the world, it's God, it's the world, it's God. You can't, you can't straddle the fence, you can't walk down both sides of the road. It's either one or the other. Elijah. You can't, you can't halt between two opinions. You can't walk both sides of the road. And so, no man can serve passionately, can serve fully the world system that is opposed to God, and then serve God, the creator of the heavens and all the earth. You just can't do it. So, if you try, the Scripture says there is a sense that the Lord God is not the principle of your life. Um, you just can't do it. First John 4 Verse 8, God is love. Love is an attribute of God. Love is an attribute. It has many, many attributes. God is love. God is holy. God is merciful. God is gracious. God is kind. God is sovereign. God is light. And then he says that God is what? God is love. So here's what happens to people. They replace God in their life with the stuff that's in the world system. You got it? They, they, try to, they try to manipulate God. They try to worship God. They try to live in the world. And all of a sudden, you find yourself replacing God with the things, with the stuff of the world. So the Bible says, since you have substituted the world for God, the love of the Father is not in you. The point is, if God is not in you, then you don't have the love of the Father. In order to have that agape love, I counseled with a couple getting married the other night. And three things that you have to have in marriage for your marriage to work. Many of you have heard this already. First of all, you've got to have Christ first in your life. If, if, I, if I have Christ first in my life, I won't have no problem pleasing Judy. If she has Christ first in her life, she won't have no problem pleasing me. Because Christ is first in our life. Without Christ in your life, this is why it's important not to marry an unbeliever. If Christ is not first in your life, you may love each other, but it's going to come apart somewhere else. He has to be first. Now, the second thing is love. And so you have eros love, erotic love. That's, that's sensual love. You, you have that in marriage, but your marriage won't last on sensual love. And then you have the filio love. You know, she's my best friend, he's my best friend. That sounds good, but your marriage won't last just on friendship love. And then you have agape love. Agape love is that self-sacrificing, selfless love. And only 
That only comes through Jesus Christ. You can never offer that love unless you've received Christ into your life. You're fooling yourself if you think you can. So if God is not in you, then you don't have the love of the Father. So this morning, perhaps some of you have been looking, like the old country song said, some of you may be looking for love in the wrong places. It only comes from Jesus. It can only be found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That love that you're searching for, the love of God. It's an amazing thing, really, when you think about it. Did you know, first of all, that you don't deserve the love of God? I don't deserve the love of God? The Bible puts it this way, that God demonstrated His love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so you don't deserve His love. I don't deserve His love. That's what's amazing about the love of God. He gives, He offers His love to you without you deserving it. Second thing about God's love, His love is pure. His love is pure. The, the love in this world is filthy. <laughs> You've noticed that. The love in this world is contaminated. The love in this world is selfish. It's full of hurt. It's full of pain. It's full of misery. That's what the world offers and calls it love. But the love of God is absolutely pure. It's pure. So His love is offered, you don't deserve it. His love that He gives is pure. Well, how can He hurt me? I'm His wife. Well, or I'm His husband, or her husband. Because He don't have Christ-like, or she don't have Christ-like love. That's the love you're searching for. It can only be found in Jesus Christ. Not in a person, not in a lady, not in a man. Only in Jesus Christ. You're going to have worldly love apart from Jesus Christ. And it don't last. You'll never see abuse. You'll never see neglect. You'll never see hurt. You'll never see harm in the love of God. I thought he loved me. Why did he hit me? Well, he didn't have the love of God. He had a worldly type of love. So the love of God is pure. The love of God, number three, I jotted this down. The love of God can't be measured. Think of that. I mean, you, you, can't, you don't have a tape measure to measure the width of it. You don't have a rocket ship that will take you to the height of it. You can't dig deep enough to get away from the love of God if you dug straight down. It can't be measured in its width, in its height, in its depth. Could ever imagine, who could ever imagine that kind of love? And then, number four, if you jotted these down, the love of God can't be exhausted. I mean, if you're a parent today, um, you can testify with me that there were times where your love became just, you won't pull your hair out, that's what we say. It, it became exhausted, perhaps. Well, let's say this, your patience becomes exhausted. Can you think how aggravating we can be to God, but, but we never exhaust the love of God? Think of that. Whine, complain, gripe when things are going bad. And then when things are going good and we're being blessed by God, we, we won't stand and praise, we won't pray, we won't study our Bible, read His Word. Can, can you just imagine how God... But yet the love of God is so merciful, so full of grace, 
that we cannot even exhaust the love of God, regardless how we act. There will always be more love. So you have the love of God. Then jot this down. You have the absence of God, and I've got to hurry. The absence of God. Verse 16, notice what he says. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father. The absence of God. But it is of the world. The lust, our, our desire, our cravings, the flesh, our natural, our natural tendencies. We're born as a sinner. And so the Bible says that people of the world are ruled by the lusts of the flesh and their cravings, what they want. And they spend their entire life trying to get what they need and what they want. That's what you do in the world system. The point is, without Jesus Christ, you're a slave to your own cravings and to your own desires. You're a slave. And the Bible says Jesus came to set the captives free. You don't have to be a slave and bound to your own cravings and your desires. So the person who has Jesus Christ is, is no longer bound to those desires and those appetites. He's been delivered. He's been set free. He or she's been delivered and set free from those. Notice he mentions the lust of the eyes. These things captivate you in this old world. Just the surface of the world. You're captivated by what's around you, and all that's real shallow. Just constantly feeding on the world around you. And notice he says the pride of life. Do you see that in verse 16? For all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh. It's the lust of the eyes. It's captivating. And the pride of life, that's your ego. All that's in this world, all that, that has promise of this world is nothing but there is nothing but about ego. So the person will spend their life trying to impress others with their non-existent importance. You're not important. What are you trying to impress people for? You know why? Because you're in the world system. You think it looks good if you have this and have that or wear this or wear that. Or, uh, no, you're not impressing nobody. Their ego and those that are in this world system, is, is the center of their life. It's about me, it's about mine, it's centered around self. But you know, the good thing, Jesus can change you. Amen? He can change you. Remember a lady going to a well to get water, and she had five husbands, and she didn't even know the name of the person that she was with then? And she had, she had this... I don't know, she had a craving, I guess. She had a craving for affection. She, had, she wasn't satisfied with her life. And Jesus just simply said, Lady, if you'll drink the water that I'll give you, you'll never want no more. Your cravings will stop. Your satisfaction will end. And she accepted Christ that day, and she went out and told of a man that knew everything about her. And many in the city also believed. My goodness, he delivered her from that rule of her lust of the flesh or the rule of her appetite, fleshly appetite. He can change you. Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was, he was, he was a tax collector. He, he was satisfied. His life was all about money. 
I mean, it was all about money. He had no doubt, scheme after scheme, every time he'd see a person walking down the street, he'd say, there comes another sucker. And he was going to rip that person off. Then one day his pockets were full, but his heart was empty, and he was up a tree, and he saw Jesus coming down the road. And Jesus says, come down, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house. And Zacchaeus came out of that house, a changed man, and he went and he paid, repaid double those that he had ripped off. You can be changed. You remember, oh, ego Saul, before he became Paul? And Saul, he was, he was, I mean, he knew the Bible. He had it on his forehead. He had those phylacteries. He's a very lit, religious person, probably went to a seminary, probably had two or three doctorate degrees. He had it all going as far as religion when he had letters carrying with him to, to punish the Christians. He had everybody hanging around him. He was really a big shot, but then finally this big shot said, Lord, what would you have me to do? God changed him. He had an ego problem. So you have the love of God. You have the absence of God in verse 16. I'm going to close with this real quick. You have the will of God, verse 17. Notice, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. It's all going. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The world's passing away. You see, it's kind of designed that way. It's divinely designed to pass away. It's going to pass away one day. The earth is not forever. The point is, when you're, when you're uh, loving the world, you're loving something that's not going to last forever. That, that's what's happening. And, and the desire, all that stuff that you looked upon, that you craved, or the ego that you strutted over, it's going to pass away too. All that's going to go away. Second Peter 3 verse 10 says it's all going to be burned up. Nothing's going to be here. But notice the B part of verse 17. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. We're told that this was the life verse of D.L. Moody, great preacher. He even had that verse engraved on his tombstone. He that does the will of God abides forever. You said, Brother Sammy, how can I know the will of God? Real quick, there has to be an absolute surrender. You'll never know the will of God unless you surrender to God. Romans 12, verse 1 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. In other words, when you got saved, you got a new mind as a Christian. And when you got saved, this verse says that you got saved where you would be able to understand and prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so, first of all, there's absolute surrender. Before you know God's will, you've got to surrender to God. Secondly, you've got to know His Word. You've got to read His Word, study His Word. Psalm 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a guide under my path. You'll never know God's will apart from getting in His Word. The third thing is my circumstances. The sovereign work of God in your life. Ever how God's working in your life, you, you, you test your circumstances against the Word of God. Not your feelings, I, I feel this is what I need to do. But go to God's Word and test your circumstances against the Word of God. And then you put it all together in prayer. 
total surrender, the Word of God, your circumstances, and pray. Colossians 3.15, I love this verse. Listen to what it says, I'm finished. Whoso, uh, Colossians 3.15, I'm sorry. It says that it's this peace of God. Peace of God. It's the peace of God that rules in your heart. If you're trying to make a decision and you don't have a peace of God about it, you just better back off. I don't care if you want to do it, your wife wants to do it, you think it's best for your family. If you don't have a peace of God, then you need to, you need to back off. The point is, if there's no peace, hold up whatever you're fixing to do. He doesn't say, if you'll notice that, he doesn't say there in 1 John 17, he that doeth the will of God. He don't say he that knoweth the will of God, but he that does the will of God. And so what's the, what's the number one priority for God's will in everyone's life? What's the priority will of God's life? For everyone to trust Jesus Christ and to be saved. That's his priority for every person. The person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ is simply recognizing that supreme will of God for their life. And they're willing to put their trust in Jesus Christ. We call that conversion. And by doing that, he does the will of God. And he or she will abide forever. Notice that. He says, but he that doeth the will of God, primary will is for you to be saved. And if you come to Christ, I promise you, you will abide forever. You have the love of God, the absence of God, the will of God. And so the point being this morning, God wants you to live for what lasts. He simply wants to change you where you can abide forever. Charles Spurgeon said this, and I jotted it down at the end. He says, we pine for our Father's house above, the home of our souls. If we may but dwell there forever, we care but little of the goods of this poor life. If you can live in heaven forever, what in the world, no pun intended, does this place, this world have to offer if you can live in heaven forever? Live, not in the world, that's passing away, but live for what will last forever. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity to open your word. And Father, realize that we're in the world, but we're not part of the world. And so help us, Father, we pray as we go in and out of this system to remember who we belong to. Help us to do our job, be the salt of this earth be the light of this earth. Lord, that we might shine the blessed gospel on those who have never heard of it, who've never, who've never witnessed anyone that has received it. Help us, we pray, to be what we're supposed to be, light and salt. I pray for every person here this morning. Perhaps those here are thinking that this world is, is all there is, but Lord, there's uh, another place for those who trust you. And they will abide forever. And so, Father, I pray today, if anyone's here who's never trusted you as Lord and Savior of their life, that today they'll make that decision to turn from their sin, turn to a person by the name of Jesus, trust Him, believe in Him, and only Him for their salvation as they surrender their life to you.
Thank you for what you're going to do in this invitation time. In Jesus' name we pray.